Coming up on Put It on the Board, it's episode 16 with a recap of White Sox baseball and a tough weekend in Oakland after the White Sox split a series with the Angels. We're now just a week out from the All-Star break and All-Star rosters are here. So Noah and I have a quick recap of the last week of White Sox action, uh, some updates on the prospect pool some positive updates, which will actually be nice to talk about for once. And then we're going to look at the MLB All-Star rosters. The preliminary reserves and pitching staffs are now out. So our reactions to the biggest snubs, to guys who maybe shouldn't have made the team, and uh, potentially who we could see being a replacement if there's an injury and a White Sox player that is going to be representing the team in Seattle. So uh, got some good stuff to talk about here as we prep for the final week of the first half and the Major League Baseball first-year player draft next week. Let's get into it. Let's put some crooked numbers up on that board. Here we go. This is episode 16 of the Put It On The Board podcast. Today is Monday, July 3rd, 2023. It's an off day for the White Sox, who had a tough three and four week. Sam Phelan and Noah Phelan coming at you to recap it. Got some prospect talk, got some uh, draft preview stuff, and we'll kind of tease what we've got coming later this week as far as the MLB draft is coming up. And all-Star rosters are here. Noah and I both giving our opinion on the All-Star rosters. But Noah, uh, let's start with the Major League Club. Um, I mean, not as I, I kind of told you coming into this episode, we were going to be limited and quick with what we say because the White Sox went three and four and they lost two out of three from the Oakland A's, which is ridiculous seeing as the Oakland A's are one of the historically worst MLB teams of all time. One of the worst teams I can remember. And yet the White Sox still found a way to White Sox uh, at the end of some of these games and beat themselves, lost two out of three in the, of the series. So uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, do you have anything to add that we haven't talked about in years past or uh, weeks past here, like referring to this team and where they're at? No, I think it's just another example of the White Sox being the White Sox. I mean, you said it best. You, you're talking about an A's team that was last in the league in offense and also last in the league in pitching. So literally the worst team in baseball and probably the worst team that we have seen in years in baseball. And the White Sox lose a series. But, you know, this this is very White Sox. We're talking about how bad the offense has been all year. And the offense had a good week. I mean, they struggled the first two against Anaheim. Otani kind of shut them down. But the last two against Anaheim, or the Angels, they, you know, put up 11 runs in the third game. They put up nine runs in the fourth game. And in Oakland, they put up, you know, pretty good runs in all three games. And yet, they still find a way to lose. Well, this week, games, so. this week is so hilarious because this week had literally everything like that it was an all encompassing all around Chicago White Sox week where Monday 
you lose a game to the Angels with your offense completely shutting down. Got three hits total in the start from Dylan Cease where you get six innings and 10 Ks and he locks up the Angels. Then you lose one four to two on some, you know, late runs. But again, a weak offensive performance where uh, Michael Kopech made one or two mistakes and gave up some home runs. And really, it was just Shohei Otani shutting you down from there on. Then the Sox kind of come back 11 runs, nine runs, you win two and you get this little swing of momentum going into Oakland where you say, well, the A's are 20 and 61 and you are now winners of two in a row. The Guardians are going to the Red Hot Cubs. The Twins are playing in Baltimore. Here's a big shot. And for whatever reason, Pedro Grafold decides to just take his foot off the gas because game one, he goes Tanner Banks, Jesse Schultens. Game three, he says, then is also going to be a bullpen game in which you get Tuki Toussaint and Brian Shaw and like kind of a weird move to do two out of three games as a bullpen game. But Tanner Banks, Jesse Schultons give up runs. You lose to the A's. You come out the next night in what I think, by the way, is the worst loss of the season. Given the opponent, given the situation and where you were at in the division, where this Saturday game by the White Sox, you go up three to one. You have a big lead. You miss multiple opportunities to add on to that lead with runners on base and the A's chip away making it three to three in the bottom of the sixth. You got two outs and nobody on in the bottom of the seventh, and you give up a home run to make it four to three. Well, the offense battles back. Grandal singles, Perez doubles, Benintendi walks six to four. Tim Anderson hits a grand slam, and the White Sox are up 10 to four in the game in the eighth inning. They review it. The ball is foul. Tim Anderson gets out on the ensuing pitch. You go six to four. And balk in a run to make it six to five, then give up a base hit on a ground ball on the infield, which makes it six to six. Then you go strikeouts in the top of the seventh to not score. And in the bottom of the 10th, you lose on an error by Elvis Andrus, where Tyler Wade just comes around to score from second base on a ground ball that got booted with two outs by your second baseman. That is the most White Sox loss ever, and it's hilarious that it happened against the A's, who are quite literally the worst team in baseball and the worst team of the last decade right now. Yeah, you couldn't have said it. I mean, the, the, I just, and I'm not saying this to like have you have some revelation or like. Be like, and this game goes to show you the White Sox are bad or that it's over. I mean, it was just crazy to me. You said you laughed at the end of the game because it was so Sox. So I watched the 10th. I was kind of, I was out for a lot of the day, but I got home in like the eighth or ninth inning. I wasn't really watching. I just kind of threw it on in the background. But when the the 10th came up, I watched the at-bats against Shintaro Fujinami, who is quite literally yeah. is the worst pitcher in baseball. He he's given up after yesterday. He had 45 earned runs in 42 innings on the season. Like I have don't know if I've ever seen a pitcher stay in the majors as long as he has with that bad of statistics. And he shut the Sox down on Friday. Saturday he comes in in the 10th inning with a runner at second. 
Grandal strikes out. Carlos Perez pops out on the first pitch. And then I don't even know who was up next, but Burger struck out. It was Burger strikeout. Uh, yeah, I think Remillard came up and got hit by a pitch. And then Burger came up and struck out. And it's like yeah. just nothing against a, a pitcher who has been pretty uncompetitive for his team all season. Then the bottom of the 10th comes up and, you know, there's a ground ball to second base after Ruiz tries Kendall, to bunt. Kendall Graveman did his job well. I mean, yeah. Asturi Ruiz tries to bunt, completely fails trying to bunt, pops it up foul twice, still tries to bunt on 0-2 and fouls it again. So he's out on strikes. Just a, just a terrible attempt to bunt. And just when you think like, oh yeah, this A's team sucks. The Sox are going to get out of this, aren't they? Then Elvis boots a ground ball and then tries to throw it to first anyway, or I don't even know what he tried to do. He threw the ball somewhere that he shouldn't have thrown it, and it allowed Wade to score from second base. Yeah, on the he, well, he throws the ball to first, and Sheets is a lefty, so Sheets has to take kind of an extra step to turn his body to make a throw. Tyler Wade never st- stopped running, and uh, he just scores, and you give up. No walks, no hits. It's a booted ball by Elvis, and the game is over, and and you've lost the series to the Oakland A's. Yeah, and all I could do was laugh. I mean, I mean, what else am I going to do in that situation? That's that is the most White Sox loss in a season full of White Sox type losses. And I legit, I am not even kidding when I tell you I legitimately laughed out loud because I am not. It was. I mean, this is over. I'm not. I'm not at the point where I'm still getting annoyed or still getting angry. I just, I am enjoying the, the comedy show that is the Chicago White Sox this season. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's a matter of waiting at this point. We are, we are awaiting the deadline. We are awaiting the rumors. And as this trade, de- or uh, sorry, as this All Star break gets upon us, and we, you know, get the All Star game in the rear view, you're looking at, I mean, a c- two weeks till the deadline. So, like this, we'll have a draft to look forward to. We'll have the All Star game. That'll be fun. And then it's all about the, uh, it's it last couple weeks here before the deadline to talk about some rumors and see which way Rick Hahn and company go. They're going to have to make their decision. And as of yeah, right now, I, uh... <laughs> the White Sox are five and a half games back in the American League Central after their win today. The Twins are still in first place, now tied with Cleveland. Uh, both teams a game under 500, but the White Sox five and a half back. So this is interesting, Noah, because, I mean, this is the – we, you and I talked months ago about what this number would be at the deadline and what it would have to be at the deadline for Han to be a seller, Han to be a buyer, Han to be indifferent. And it looks like it is going to be right in this middle ground of four and a half to five and a half. Like it, it's not going to be a comfortable, easy decision as things sit right now. I mean, it should be an easy decision. Well, it should be. But I mean, if you're like, you have to consider too, the other aspect of this that I brought up when we talked to White Sox, Dave on this podcast, and when we brought up the idea of this team being bad in general, is that I think there's a sense of urgency in Rick Hahn as the general manager to protect his own job and trading Lucas Giolito and Keenan Middleton and Kendall Graveman right now doesn't really help Rick Hahn's job security any. So, like, is he putting the franchise and what's best for the White Sox long term ahead of his own job? I don't know. And 
I mean, if this team had looked a little bit more competitive over the past few weeks and was sitting two and a half back, Rick Hahn can easily make a decision of let's buy a few pieces and go for it. And he can look in the camera and justify it. If they would have just laid down and died, or if the AL Central was any bit more competent than it actually is, he would easily be able to look at a team eight and a half games out of first place and say, all right, we got to do what we got to do. And maybe they do get to eight and a half back by the time the deadline rolls around. That's not out of the question at all. But I, I just, I mean, if he's sitting at four and a half, five and a half, it's a weird in between um, that I'm sure is not where he wanted to be. I think he was hoping that the team would answer the question for him. And it doesn't look like they're going to make the decision for him. It looks like he's going to have to make the decision. Yeah. I I don't envy that position. Um, honestly, I, I tweeted this earlier today, but part of me was kind of hoping the Sox would lose today, just because. I mean, oh, well, if you get all, swept by the A's, I mean that, that that statement. I mean, that's that's all it takes, right there, right? Well, like, yeah, I, multiple reasons, really. I mean, the more games they lose, the farther back they get in the division. The more likely Rick Hahn is to realize that this team's not going anywhere and he's going to make the right decision and sell. But also, and I think a bigger reason for me is the Sox are going home on Tuesday and Rick Hahn usually speaks to the media before every homestand. And I would want to see his face in front of the cameras on Tuesday afternoon after the White Sox just got swept by the Oakland athletics. And I would want to hear what he has to say. And I'm sure he would give us some, you know, positive prospect updates and hope that holds us over and then say something about how it's still too early to call this team sellers and all that stuff. But I have to think that Rick Hahn, not only, I mean, we've talked about how he's frustrated and all that stuff, but I have to think that he's embarrassed because this is a lot of his life's work. He's put a lot of time and a lot of effort into building this team over the past few years and to go into Oakland and to lose a series to a team that is literally trying to lose, their owner is literally losing as many games as possible on purpose, and they still won a series against the White Sox. I mean, I just I have to think that's embarrassing for Rick Hahn. And had they come home after being swept, I, I would just love to see his face. Well, yeah. No, I, I – you know – I love any situation where I get to see Rick Hahn squirm. And I think most White Sox fans are in a position right now where they just want feet held to the fire of the people that they feel like made the decisions that are making them miserable. And so if that's Jerry, if that's Kenny, if that's Rick Hahn, if that's Pedro Griffol, whoever it is, like I, I like seeing them upset. And I think White Sox fans do too. Uh, quick thing before we kind of wrap up and head into some positive news is I don't have the number in front of me because um, I don't have the tweet pulled up right now, but I looked it up after the Angels first game and then the White Sox did lose the first game against Oakland. And I want to say they are now seven and 19 in the first game of a series this year. Um, I actually have I counted last year and this year combined. So I do have that stat. I'm more I'm more focused ago. on this year though and the reason that this year matters to me is because of what Pedro said at the beginning of the year about preparation and preparing to kick your ass every night. 
was something that he looked straight into the camera with a straight face and said. And seeing how this has played out and seeing how the White Sox are seemingly always unprepared for the new team that's in front of them, and they don't seem to have any sort of edge or fight in the first game of a series, I do reflect that sort of mentality and team-wide approach and energy on the manager. Like, There's a lot of things that you can point to and say, well, that's not Pedro's fault. Look what Pedro's working with. And you know, while I'm more critical of him than others, I can hear some of those arguments. But things like your preparation heading into a new series, the team's energy, you know, coming off of a a flight and, and getting off of a flight on a road trip or coming back home for the first time and how you kick things off against the new opponent. That, I think, is a pretty good indicator of how your coaching staff is influencing your players. And I don't see a team that is motivated and prepared and brings energy to the ballpark every day, like Pedro said they were going to. So I just want to put that on record because I think it is something that deserves criticism. So I have a couple of things to follow up on that. Um, I kind of just manually counted this the other day, Um, but since the start of 2022, the beginning of last season, uh, including last year and this year, the White Sox are 28 and 49 in the first game of a series. So there's definitely something to that where for whatever reason, and I, I don't know if it's like you said, if it's preparation, I, I don't know how to explain it. Really, I mean, it's a cup. It is. I mean, it's a couple different things. It's, it, it's what I said. It's energy, right? You're flying from Los Angeles to Oakland, and you're going to a new ballpark and getting in your new hotel accommodations. Things are changing for you, you know, when you go into a new series, if it's in a new city, that is, uh, you know, new pitching staffs. And for a pitching staff, new hitters and new scouting reports and new ways that you have to prepare. It's a new field, a new playing surface, how the infield plays, how the outfield plays, how much room is there in foul territory, like... A a new series is a new beginning in a lot of different aspects that you have to be prepared for in order to go into every series and give yourselves the best chance to win. Yeah, and here's another thing. Uh, You're talking about, you know, what kind of work exactly these coaches are doing. Uh, I don't know if you saw Jake Berger's comments after the game today. I didn't, so enlighten uh, me. So Jake Berger obviously hit a home run today, two hits, kind of broke out of a pretty rough stretch that he's been in over the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, And they asked him, you know, what kind of adjustments he made to get out of the slump. And he, I I don't know if he was a hundred percent serious about this or kind of half joking. um, But he mentioned that his wife actually saw a video of his swing and pointed out an issue with how he was setting up that he adjusted and that he feels a lot better at the plate now than he did before. So my question is, why are the White Sox employing three hitting coaches if they could just ask the player's wife to have them make adjustments? I I don't think Jake is joking about that at all. I mean, I don't. I would have to go watch it and see his tone and everything. But uh, if you're a White Sox fan and you're on White Sox Twitter, you know that Ashlyn Berger is watching every single game. She watches every single one of her husband's at-bats, and she knows baseball. So uh, I would not be surprised if she was watching the game. Uh, and ha- 
as Jake has said before, she's not afraid to rip into him or give him a hard time when he's not swinging it well and he's not hitting home runs. So I don't think that's crazy that she was watching a game and saw him kind of doing something different and said, hey, babe, you're doing this a little weird. Like, what's up with that? And he said, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, made a change and feels more comfortable now that possible. I like I I don't know. I, I have to go back and watch that. That's fascinating though. And I mean if it's true, my God. Like what are, what are we doing? Like what are we doing? We've got replay techs, we've got hitting coaches, we've got like all of these devices and, and technology at our disposal, and our coaching staff cannot detect what a player is doing. It's like when was it Liam Hendricks, his wife? let him know that he was tipping his pitches last year. It's like, well, Hey, maybe uh, the bullpen coach, Kurt Hassler could have told you that when you were throwing in the pen, maybe Ethan Katz should have come out to the mound and said, Hey, Liam, I've noticed you're doing something different. That's probably a tip. No, like Christy Hendricks should not be the one that points that out. Shout out to her for doing it. We love you for it. Thank you for the help. Same with you, Ashlyn. If this is what breaks Jake out of a slump and he starts hitting burger bombs again, thank you. But this shouldn't be the person that has to diagnose the problem three weeks after the fact. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. And it's not even like, you know, you didn't notice it live. Like, that's fine. It's, it's really hard to notice things like that live, but... I mean, how many? I mean, if you, if you don't think Jake Berger and his hitting coach have been going over his at bats and looking at the film of his at bats over and over again over this slump to try and figure out like what he's doing and why how he can change things, like that that is what they do. I so would hope so, but maybe not. Either they're not doing it or they're not doing it well because, <laughs> like, I, I don't I, know. It just it blows my mind that. You you literally have three coaches on your staff that specialize in hitting. You have a, a hitting coach, an assistant hitting coach, and you have your your major league field coordinator, Mike Tozar, who did a lot of stuff with hitting with Kansas City. And somehow this mechanical adjustment that Jake Berger needed to make got through all three of these guys, and the only person that was able to notice it was Ashlyn. Well, and that's, I don't know, that just doesn't sit right with me. This is what happens. I don't want to be that guy, but maybe this is what happens when you hire all of your coaching staffs and your your hitting staff from Kansas City. And then you're like, oh, guys can't hit anymore. That's weird. And you're like, oh, this Pedro Grafol guy sure likes having three catchers on his roster an awful lot. I wonder why. Maybe because his background is defensive catchers. And so he sees Sebi Zavala and... You know, he just starts drooling. He's foaming at the mouth, thinking about how he can bat him seventh tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's frustrating, especially when Rick Hahn said that their criteria was a manager who had come came from an organization that has recent championships. Apparently, 2015 is recent enough. Was he for even him. there for that? He was, yeah, he was. What was he doing? I mean, he wasn't relevant. I'm not sure. I know. He has no dugout experience or decision-making experience on any of those teams. Yeah, I don't think he was the bench coach back in 2015, but I do remember reading that he was with the Royals for their World Series. I can't remember exactly what he was doing. I want to say he was like the the catching coach or something like that. He worked with Salvi on his defense, who 
is a terrible defender. I don't care what the gold gloves say. He stinks at it. Like the metrics are not friendly to Salvador Perez as a defensive catcher. Uh, anyway, let's go know. to some, let's go to something more positive. I, I, we talked for that way longer than we should have about all the negatives about this team. We do have uh, some prospect stuff that I want to talk to you about Noah, because a few guys that are, you know, really starting to shine. Uh, you know, let's start with the easiest one here for you to talk about while I uh, pull up some of these other names, but Colson Montgomery uh, has been back and been playing and he has played 10 games in the White Sox Arizona Complex League currently sits with a batting average of 353 getting on base at 51% of the time his OPS right up at 1100 so uh, the Sox number one prospect the 21 year old shortstop is back and I would assume we are going to expect to see him in Birmingham shortly yeah uh Obviously, you know, the Arizona league is is below his level. He should be playing at a higher level than that. But that was just to kind of get him back into the swing of things. Uh, He did hit his first home run. I want to say it was Friday. So uh, I don't think it'll be too long. I I think within the next week or so, we'll probably see him back to Birmingham uh, where he finished last year. So definitely positive to finally get him back on the field and get going, especially with the major league shortstop situation a little bit uh, hazy at the moment. Well, excited to see him actually playing at like competitive levels and have a box score to look out for him every day. But you you mentioned he finally hit his first home run. Let's talk about somebody else who's hitting home runs. It's Oscar Colas, who has seven home runs in the month of June, like six of them this week down in Charlotte. Uh, His numbers for the season are uh, 293 batting average with an with nine home runs now an OPS at 866. Oscar Colas has appeared to found his swing a little bit. I was a little bit confused, you know, why this guy that was 20 to 30 home run pop in the minors and you know we thought was going to be a home run machine at the big league level, even if he didn't hit, couldn't even find his power stroke in AAA. But it's back. He's red hot. And I think both of us are ready to start campaigning the White Sox to bring him up. Yeah, I don't think it'll be long. I mean, the Clint Frazier experiment has kind of uh, reached a point where I think it's time to move on. Um, I there's mean, not there, really a there's, there's not no really way a clear right fielder at the moment. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if even Tuesday, when the White Sox head home to face the Toronto Blue Jays, it would not surprise me if Oscar Colas makes that trip to Chicago with them. Well, listen, we we talked about this with this team early on, like May 1st, where it became at-bats are earned right now, like with the White Sox. We felt like they had hit that point where they needed wins, and whoever was playing better deserved the at-bats. And, and for a while... Gavin Sheets was worthy of at-bats, and Oscar Colas was not. So I think, you know, there weren't too many Sox fans who really had an issue with him being sent down in the first place. But what's been made clear over the past month or so is that Gavin Sheets has not hit. And when he's not hitting, he doesn't have a ton of value to this team. And Clint Frazier... I thought earned an opportunity to get at bats at the big league level because of what he had done at Charlotte. And, you know, maybe he had found a little bit of a renaissance to his career. I, that experiment is over to me. 
So, you know, knowing where you're at as a team, still 12 games under 500 in July now, knowing how good Oscar is in AAA and how your two right fielders just have not worked, I don't see a reason that he cannot, he could or should not be your everyday right fielder. Like at this point, he's the best option you have and probably the smartest option long-term to get that experience. And I think regardless of how he does when he comes back up, I think they need to stick with it because, you know, people use this expression all the time, but development is not linear. I mean, Oscar Colas, the last two seasons now, has proven that he can handle AAA pitching. There's nothing down in AAA that he needs to prove anymore. So once he's here, I mean, I'd like to see if he does go through another slump, I'd like to see him work it out here. I, I think... Once Oscar Colas comes back, which in my opinion should be as soon as possible, I think he should be out there in right field for the rest of the season. I mean, hey, you're with me though. I mean, like we'd like to see Lennon Sosa too. Like I'd be fine if the White Sox DFA'd Elvis Andrus tomorrow and Lenin Sosa was up and I don't demand regular playing time for Sosa. Like if you want to give Zach Remillard at bats, that's fine. He has definitely earned those. Uh, with the way that he has played since coming up here. But like, I'd like to see Lenin get the Elvis Andres opportunities, which like, that's another one. It hasn't worked with him. You're not winning games. The defense is just as bad as the offense is. So yeah, if I'm the White Sox right now, I'd at least get the guy who's tearing up AAA and, you know, has a track record as one of your top prospects up here to get some ABs. So, like, it's, and Yoan Moncada might not come back. So Jake Berger might be the third baseman here the rest of the way with Zach Remillard working in at third base. And, you know, who knows where Tim Anderson is three weeks from now. But, Like, let's get some of these guys up here. Let's get some opportunities for these dudes that are, you know, budding. Because going into next year, no, we've talked about this, but the Sox don't have much. And it would behoove them to figure out what they have in some of these guys as much as possible. So, like, keeping Sosa in AAA does them no good at this point. Same thing with Colas. Like, let's let's try and make big league players out of them and then go from there. Um, Noah Schultz. He staying on the prospect train, finally got back out there today. His first game in a bit. He, he pitched today. His one before that was June 16th, and they had moved him to the development list. But another two perfect innings for Noah Schultz. He's now pitched in four games and done nine innings with one hit, one walk, and 13 strikeouts. Absolute dominant stuff from the uh, Oswego East alumni in 2022 first-round pick. Everything you'd like to see out of him, he's going to, uh, I mean, I, I skyrocket might be strong because he's already way up there in the Sox, you know, farm system. But a guy who I'd be interested in seeing if he cracks a top 100 list here at the midseason, uh, there's a lot of potential here at 6'9", 220 from the left side. Really excited about this arm. Yeah, he's been great. Um, I, a little bit frustrating, you know, he's had a had a couple of minor setbacks here. Um, obviously, they've been taking it slow with his innings. Three innings is the most that he's done in a game. His last start, actually, he ended up being scratched because of an illness, so he wasn't feeling well, and that is why he hasn't pitched in a couple of weeks. Uh, they ended up moving his start back, but 
today uh, he was scheduled to go three innings and they actually had a rain delay in the game after two innings. So he did not come back out for the third at the end of the rain delay. So just a couple of things that, you know, not really anything can be done about, but yeah, it's, he's, he's shown some great flashes. He's shown the stuff and the reason why the White Sox spent a first round pick on him. So the key for him is just going to be staying out there and pitching for the rest of the season, staying healthy and then coming back next season ready to increase that innings limit. But definitely great stuff out of him. It's not unusual to see a guy babied like this. I mean, you want to be careful with him. Like If he can go and give you two or three innings every time out and look sharp, that's really all you're asking for a guy of, at his age, right? I mean, you don't expect him to be major league ready for another at, at least two years. So like, let's just make sure we keep him healthy, make sure you give him what he needs and develop him the right way. But uh, yeah, I think Sox fans in general, very excited about Noah Schultz right now. couple other names to go over, Noah. These are guys that are personal guys of mine because, uh, you know, I take a little bit of pride in singling these guys out early and you uh, you'll remember, let's start here because we talked about this on the podcast. When we did our season preview and our prospect preview at the beginning of this year, there was a guy who I said was far down on the White Sox top 30 list, and I could not figure out why he was so low and not getting more hype. His name is Terrell Tatum. He's an outfielder who is now up in double A Birmingham. And I continue to think is very, very intriguing since going up to Birmingham, he's hitting 438, but on the season in 60 games between Winston Salem and Birmingham, uh, he's hitting 268, but six or sorry, 58 walks, 62 walks, sorry, at both levels which has his on-base percentage at 444. He's got 34 stolen bases, five home runs, an OPS nearly 900, great outfield defense. He's a really, really interesting prospect, Noah, but he's 5'9", 167, batting from the left side. But Terrell Tatum gets on base. He's got great speed, and he knows how to track things down in the outfield. So up in Birmingham, do you have any thoughts about uh, the fast riser that's now in A at age 23, uh, Terrell Tatum. Well, the the size is probably the reason why he was drafted so low because typically, and there are exceptions to this, but guys that are five nine and the weights in the one sixties aren't typically power threats. Um, so the the White Sox probably see him as a, a defense and maybe contact guy. But you have to love that walk rate. I mean, that's something that the White Sox lack in their major league team. So any prospects that are you know, program to walk a lot is a, is a welcome thing for me, for sure. Um, hopefully he can keep it up, but early returns at Birmingham are good. And Birmingham's probably the toughest environment to hit in of all the White Sox affiliates. So definitely some promising things there. This is, so he has five home runs and it's interesting. I'm just going to give you a quick comp off the top of my head, uh, for a guy who, has a pretty similar outlook to his minor league stats. It's Esteori Ruiz of the Oakland A's, who we just saw, who last year he stole 85 bases in the minor leagues uh, in 114 games. He did so because he walked 66 times and got on base at a 447 clip. Now, 
Terrell Tatum has already walked 62 times on this season alone, but he gets on base at a similar clip at 444 with 34 stolen bases in 64 games. So uh, Ruiz is one of those guys. He had 15 home runs last year. Tatum's at five so far this year, but one of those prospects that has not really pop, but is a wildly impactful major leaguer because of his range in the outfield, because he's regularly on base and a walk is basically a double. So uh, this is a name to continue watching here for the Sox in the second half. I'm very, very excited about him. Uh, He's got his 24th birthday coming up later this month. Uh, Another name to watch, uh, Jonathan Cannon. If anybody's not doing anything over the all-star break, watch Jonathan Cannon, the 2022 third rounder out of Georgia in the futures game. He's done 13 starts for the White Sox this year uh, and been pretty solid. So uh, very excited about Jonathan Cannon. And no, I actually went back and maybe we can do this here at the end of this segment. I'll pull it up. I pulled up just the random futures game roster couple of them. And and I went to 2016 because it felt like, you know, seven years is enough time for these guys to these prospects, whether they're 18 or 19 or 20 to really now be what they are at the big league level. I just looked at the rosters and some of them top prospects that didn't work out. Yohan Mankata being one of them, but Really hard-pressed to find a guy on a Futures game roster that is not an impactful big leaguer. So that's the kind of honor you're talking about with Jonathan Cannon here. Uh, A lot of people might say, yeah, who cares? But like, for the most part, 80% of these guys on the Futures game rosters end up being major leaguers, and you you see them on their teams for a long time. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. I haven't done a whole lot of research into past futures game rosters. Uh, I know that it kind of varies based on the year. If you like look at a top 100 prospects list or something, you know, there's always some guys that you, you're like, oh, I forgot he was ranked that high because he never panned out. But yeah, Jonathan Cannon, uh, good player. His his calling was more control. He was never really an overpowering stuff kind of pitcher. Um, so that kind of caps his ceiling. He's probably a mid-rotation kind of guy, but you know everybody needs those guys that they don't throw overwhelmingly hard, but they don't walk guys, and they're just reliable starting pitchers. And I think that's what the White Sox saw in him, and they saw a guy that could potentially be pretty quick to the major leagues. So um, if he keeps up what he's doing, we could see him in Birmingham by the end of the season, potentially Birmingham and Charlotte next year, and, you know, maybe up by the end of next season or the beginning of 2025. So I think, yeah, I think next year's a realistic timeline for him as a college pitcher, especially I don't, then, you know, he's not one of these guys like Noah Schultz that's doing two winnings. Like he, he can get pretty deep into these ball games. So a name to watch uh, three other guys real quick. I'll try and be quick with them that I want to just put on the, the radar of white Sox fans as we anticipate the MLB.com mid-season top 30 for the Sox. These are guys that I think are going to be on the list that are not on the list right now. And guys, I think will actually fly up pretty high on it. Ninth round pick in 2022, Michael Turner. He's a catcher. He's only hitting 272. He only has one home run. He walks at a great rate with a 410 on base percentage. And he leads the league 
the Salem League uh, in, I think that's what it is. I don't know, whatever high A. He leads the high A league in uh, caught stealing runners. So uh, a, a cannon behind home plate. He's 24 years old. The White Sox have some uncertainty at catcher. He could be a quick riser in the uh, the system. Uh, name to watch there. Uh, Shane Murphy is a left-handed arm. That's 6'5", 210. That has done 55 innings of 275 ball with 65 strikeouts and a 0.99 whip. High A, or he's sorry, low A. He's only at Kannapolis right now, so he's a bit advanced for that at 22 years old out of community college in Arizona. But he's a name that I find very intriguing that I think will be in the Sox top 30 and a pitching prospect to watch moving forward. And finally, this is my other my guy guy. Uh, And it's now with the High A Winston-Salem dash. It's Jacob Burke, the center fielder, the White Sox 11th round pick out of Miami in 2022. Noah, between two levels this year, between Kannapolis and Winston-Salem in 40 games, Jacob Burke is hitting 327 with four home runs and 22 RBIs, 924 OPS. Uh, He gets on base at a 421 clip. He plays great outfield defense. I think he's a very, very intriguing guy. He just seems to get on base and hit all the time. And another college bat that could, uh, you know, move pretty quickly here. So I think he's in the top 30. I think he pushes the top 15 in the midseason update. Like, he's really interesting to me. I think he pushes the top 10 in the midseason update. I think he's honestly. in the top 15, maybe in the top 10. to see. We'll see how much he's valued. But, like, this is a legitimate prospect to watch, Jacob Burke. Yeah, he was a he was kind of an under the radar guy. Obviously, what was he eleventh or twelfth round pick? But he has done nothing but hit since he came to the majors. Uh, he's actually currently on a forty game on base streak. So if you'll remember last year, Colson Montgomery put up an on base streak of fifty games, and that was uh, pretty much what kind of shot him up the White Sox board and shot him up the MLB dot com board, uh, and really made people look at him and say, you know, this guy's legit. So Jacob Burke is actually having a, a streak that is quite similar right now. He's, um, I mean, he's just, he's somebody that figured it out. He was at Southeastern Louisiana, his freshman and sophomore year, 2022, he transferred to Miami. That was his junior season where he hit 347 with 13 home runs and 10 stolen bases, had an OPS over 1000 as a junior, went in the 11th round of the White Sox, uh, like you said, I, I mean, he's 22 years old right now, going to be 22 all year long. He's listed at 61208 on baseballreference.com. So, like, there isn't a lot of talent like that that I think it, it, in this system right now, I think you probably have a, a solid top five. But after the top five, the Sox system has underperformed. Like, last year's draft picks, there was a nice thread on Twitter have been doing well, but I think a lot of these prospects that were already in the top 10 have really started to fall off with their production this year, but you're, you're kind of seeing a new wave, a new resurgence of Sox talent. Yeah, it's pretty refreshing to see and another draft coming up next weekend. So we will see uh, the farm system should be getting another boost there, but yeah, some definitely some encouraging stuff from some of the prospects this week. Uh, maybe some guys that we didn't expect just having great years and some guys that had good years before. We were kind of wondering if they were going to keep that up, and they have. So some good stuff there. 
Yep. So you you said we got a draft coming up. This is a good time to tease what we've got going on later this week. We're talking with uh, James Fox of Future Sox and Sox Machine later this week. Noah, you and I, we're going to sit down with James on Thursday night. So that pod will be out Friday. And we are going to do our MLB draft deep dive. Uh, We'll spend a little bit less time on the top end prospects and some of the top end talent. I know a lot of people got to see Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens and Wyatt Langford and these guys in the College World Series, but the White Sox are not picking uh, up in a position to get any of those guys. So we're going to be really be looking at, at this middle range with the White Sox picking at 15, this second tier of college talent and potentially some of the top high school bats that could fall. It's crazy. They're like, I don't really remember a draft that has felt this open after pick four in a long time. So we're going to kind of break down all of the potential options for the White Sox, who they've been linked to, what their best traits and qualities are, and where we think the organization is needs and could go as a whole. So I'm pumped to you know, talk about these prospects, hopefully learn more about these prospects from James. He's the man with this stuff. He's been scouting these guys for years. So he's got all the, uh, all the good scoops on every prospect. And hopefully you guys learn something too for the listeners here and we'll drop that Friday. So the draft is Sunday, right? Yep. First round is Sunday night. First round Sunday night. So this is a good chance to catch yourself up over the weekend, enjoy your fourth. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that uh, early or later this week into this weekend, but all right, Noah, uh, last segment before we head out today, we're going more major league baseball wide news. We're looking at the all-star rosters. They're out. And I don't, did you feel like this was anticlimactic? I feel like I've looked forward to in previous years, reading or watching the selection show like where they announced the rosters. I I remember doing that before. I kind of just got a notification. I was like, oh, actually, I found out Luis Robert, the White Sox representative, made the game from the broadcast. Lane Casper shared it, and I was kind of like put, I I don't know. I was not ready for this. So this came out of the blue for me. Yeah, I was actually sitting on my couch at like 2 o'clock this afternoon, and I I saw a tweet from Marcus Stroman where he said, like, I'm an all-star or whatever. And I was like, how does he know that? Isn't that like a couple weeks from now? And then I did a quick search and I realized that that announcement was today. I, I like it didn't even occur to me that that announcement was today. I kind of assumed that it was like the Sunday before the all-star game. But, you know, it makes sense that they give him a little bit of time to prepare. No, I just I remember there being like a show where they announce them. And like, I remember looking forward to it every year of being like, well, who's going to make it? Who's not going to make it. And yeah, you assume the players are notified a little bit before like the rosters are actually released, but I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened this year. MLB. Like we need to, we need the, the all-star selection show back. I need, I need to be able to sit on, on my TV, know that I'm putting it on ESPN. I'm getting it announced live and I got it. I get to see who represents my team. I thought they had a show. Did they not? No, they did. But I, I did they have one today? If they did, they I, didn't advertise for it. Well, I assume they did. I, I wasn't home, so I, I'm not really sure, but the point is the point did. I'm making is that I remember in the past 
weeks leading up to the announcement, I knew what time the rosters were being announced. And I made, it was appointment television for me to sit down and see the all-star rosters. And I would be like, Oh, let's see if Chris sale made it this year. Let's see if so-and-so made it this year. And, and I, I just had no idea that this was coming. Maybe that's on me and we're the only ones that didn't know, but regardless, the all-star rosters are out. So we have the uh what we already have the starting lineup, but we finally got the the pitchers and the reserves, which then gives us the full roster for every team. So th- this might be bad podcasting, but I'm going to run through the roster real quick. We will then give a reaction. Noah, I want to know. We'll start with one. I want to hear your biggest snub, AL or NL. And then I want to know who shouldn't be there. Who should they replace on this team? So the AL roster, we've got Shohei Otani. The catchers are Jonah Heim, Salvador Perez, and Adley Rushman. Infielders, Bo Bichette, Yandy Diaz, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Josh Young, Whit Merrifield, Jose Ramirez, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. Outfield, Randy Arozarena, Jordan Alvarez, Adolis Garcia, Austin Hayes, Aaron Judge, Luis Robert Jr., Mike Trout, Brent Rooker's the backup DH. Your pitching staff is Felix Bautista, Yenier Cano, Luis Castillo, Emmanuel Classe, Garrett Cole, Nathan Ivalde, Kevin Gausman, Sonny Gray, Kenley Jansen, Michael Lorenzen, Shane McClanahan, Framber Valdez. National League. Ronald Acuna Jr., Elias Diaz, Sean Murphy, Will Smith. Those are your three catchers. Infield is Ozzy Albies, Pete Alonzo, Orlando Arcia, Nolan Arenado, Luisa Rice, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson. Your outfield is Mookie Betts, Corbin Carroll, Nick Castellanos, Lord Ace Guriel Jr., and Juan Soto. Your two des- designated hitters are J.D. Martinez and Jorge Soler. Your pitching staff, Alexis Diaz, Camilo Doval, Bryce Elder, Zach Gallen, Josiah Gray, Josh Hader, Mitch Keller, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Steele, Spencer Strider, Marcus Stroman, Devin Williams. So couple notes, the Atlanta Braves have eight all-stars on the National League team, Noah. Uh, the most in National League history. Yeah, I, I mean, crazy. I, I could make an argument for a few of those guys to be off the team, but none of them really egregious additions. So I speaks to the Braves and the position they've put themselves in as an organization. Who got snubbed? Who is not on those list of names that I read that should be heading to Seattle? Well, I think the number one snub is pretty obvious, and it's Wander Franco for the Rays. He, uh, according to baseball reference, is second in baseball in war, uh, and he's a top 15 player in war in F or in F war as well. He's um, third in baseball in F war. So, yeah. So I, I I think that's pretty egregious that he's not on there. Um, he's he's probably a top ten position player in the in the American League, and maybe he doesn't have like off the charts numbers this year, but outstanding defense at shortstop and the analytics love him. So I think it's it's kind of crazy, especially given how good that Rays team is that that he didn't make the cut. Yeah, I, I mean I I had that down as well, like third in baseball in F war the most in the American league by any player, not named Shohei Otani nine home runs and 26 stolen bases and OPS over 800. I mean, he's got all of the accolades to make the team. He just, you know, got overlooked. And I I think this is where you're going to go next, but Whit Merrifield is on this roster as an infielder. 
And I'm not sure how that happened or why that happened. It's not like the Blue Jays needed another rep. They're represented very handsomely. So I, I don't get that one at all. Yeah, and that would be the obvious switch that I would make. I'd put Franco on. I would take Merrifield off. I have a couple that are not necessarily glaringly obvious, but they're players that are having really good years and did not get on the roster. Uh, One of them is David Bednar, the Pirates closer. He's got a 144 ERA. uh, And obviously, you know, the Pirates have Mitch Keller on the roster, but Bednar has been one of the best relievers in the National League. Um, And here's an interesting name. I don't feel like we talked about this too much, but uh, Seattle Mariners... The home team for the All-Star game, George Kirby, is the name that I came up with. That's a good one. That's a really good one. The thing that sticks out about Kirby, he leads baseball in strikeout-to-walk ratio. On the season, he has 86 strikeouts and nine walks. So just an absolute control legend. (laughs) He's he's just dominating the control. He doesn't walk anybody. Uh, His teammate, Luis Castillo, is the Mariners representative, which is fine. Castillo's had a good year, but I think George Kirby a little bit overlooked um, and it would have been cool for the team hosting to, you know, have a second player representing them. So I think that's probably a miss there by the, by the committee who made these rosters. Yeah, I think so too. I got a couple other ones here that are just off the top of my head that I'm looking at. I'm, I would like to see Masataki Yoshida in the All-Star game. Uh, get some more Japanese representation in there. He's having a great year. I did have uh, that one down as well. I probably would have put him instead of Jansen for the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, that's a team with one rep. The other team with one rep that I kind of question a little bit uh, was Elias Diaz in. Well, I thought Ryan McMahon was pretty deserving, so that one kind of surprised me. McMahon's been their best player uh, Carlos Estevez of the Los Angeles Angels has 20 saves and an ERA sub two surprised Fernando Tatis Jr. Didn't get a, get a nomination or get put on this roster. Paul Goldschmidt was left off as well. And I think Ketel Marte was also, uh, left off. So a couple of the names there, I'm Most also, of those guys were on my list as well. I'm scrolling through right now. I'm just trying to find any replacement possible for, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because I I don't understand how he made an all-star team either. This is part of the the process of the all-star game that I'm bothered by is when a guy clearly makes the all-star team based on reputation and not based on merit for an individual season. I think Vladimir Guerrero is easily one of the better young hitters in baseball, but he hasn't hit at a rate that I think warrants him being on that team above potentially somebody else. So I don't know if that's because of the player vote and they vote with like, they vote for the peers that they have a lot of respect for. Whit Merrifield is another guy like, you know, Maybe he got player votes because they know what Whit Merrifield's about. They know what he does, and he's well-respected. So he got some votes as an infielder. I don't really know. Um, Odd that it's not Wander Franco getting that nod. Noah, do you have any thoughts on these one-rep teams? Because I thought a couple of them were interesting choices. Like Josiah Gray for the Nationals over... I thought Lane Thomas was pretty deserving. He's kind of played really good baseball here. Uh, Michael Lorenzen was a name that I kind of 
surpassed when I looked at this for the first time. But Michael Lorenzen representing the Tigers is interesting as well. I don't know if you felt like there was another player that should have gotten those nods or I mean, Brent Rooker was a one representing the A's, but I don't know what other options you have other than like Ryan Noda for Oakland. So like, I don't know if you had any issues with those. I thought those were interesting selections though. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the every team needs a representative rule, to be honest. I I understand why they do it, but you end up with players who are deserving of all-star nods, not getting them and players who are not deserving getting them just because their team needed a rep. Uh, honestly, I, I was thinking about this a week or two ago, but I was like genuinely not sure who Oakland's representative was going to be because I was looking at the A's roster and literally nobody was having a good season on that team. So I was like, it's really kind of unfortunate that one of these guys is going to have to be an all-star. Um, Brent Rooker was probably the best choice, but that's not saying much. Um, there wasn't really anybody better on the Tigers. Lorenzen hasn't been great. I get why people are upset with that, but I I just don't think there was really a better option I on just, the Tigers. And I have such a fun little game for you here. All right, I'm ready. This I, I just went back to 2006, and I'm looking through the names of the players that have made the All-Star game for the Oakland Athletics. Barry oh Z Barry Zito was a one one the only rep in 06. In 07, it was just Dan Heron. In 2008, it was just Justin Ducherer as their only rep. In 2009, it was only Andrew Bailey made the All-Star team to rep- representing the A's. They had two in 2010, Andrew Bailey again and Trevor Cahill. 2011 only one, Gio Gonzalez. 2012, they only had one. It was Ryan Cook. In 2013, they had Grant Balfour and Bartolo Colon. Uh, 2014, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven All-Stars. They just were good that year. That was Cespedes, Josh Donaldson, Sean Doolittle, Scott Casimir, Brandon Moss, Derek Norris, and Jeff Samarja. Um... 2015, it was Sonny Gray and Stephen Vogt. Stephen Vogt again in 2016. 2017 was White Sox legend Yonder Alonso. Uh, 2018 was Jed Lowry and Blake Trinan. Then they had Liam Hendricks and Matt Chapman, Chris Bassett and Matt Olson, and last year, Paul Blackburn, this year, Brent Rooker. There have been a lot of names of players that did not do anything in their major league career except for have a kind of okay first half as a member of the Oakland A's. John Jaha made an all-star team as the only Oakland A's rep. So, like, that's what you're dealing with. Ben Grieve in 1998. I mean, like, who are these names? These are all-stars because they play for the Oakland A's who stink every year and have to have a representative. There's some names on that list I haven't thought about in years. I, I remember playing MVP Baseball 05 and seeing some of those names in that game. I haven't thought about them in a long time. Ben Grieve, like, I guess he was, he was, I guess it was a short-lived good career, but like, what, I, I don't know. It's crazy that that's an all-star. And it's crazy to me that Brent Rooker, who I would place a bet right now, is not still in baseball in four years. We're going to look back on and say, 
he made an all-star team one day. Yep. That's that's the rules that MLB has where every team has to have a representative. And can you see why I'm not super big on that rule? Yeah, but I also love it. Like I'd be lying if I said I didn't love it. And logically, you're correct. And everybody who's against it is correct. I just have an emotional attachment to like uh seeing somebody make the All-Star game for the first time that you know otherwise wouldn't that I think is is pretty cool. So I, I don't, I don't know. Um, the White Sox only have one rep. It is Luis Robert. And while he's their only rep, it is not a consolation nod for Luis. He has absolutely earned it. Very cool that we have, you know, you remember the day when the White Sox signed Luis Robert the same way I do. We were at a Sox game that day. And it's cool that we have now hit the era of, White Sox prospect has now turned into an all-star. Oh, and he's the first member of this core to become an all-star. Dylan Cease hasn't even done it. Eloy Jimenez hasn't done it. Yoan Moncada has not done it. You are muted, sir. If you count Tim Anderson, he did it last year. Yeah, Tim Anderson did do it. But yeah, I'm more referring to the guys that the White Sox like traded for or like brought in in this wave. Tim Anderson was already in the organization, but you bring in Jimenez, Moncada, Robert, you bring in Cease, you bring in, you know, uh, Lopez. I I guess Giolito did it and he was a trade chip, but uh, it's just cool that you finally have one of these guys having the kind of season that the Luis Robert is having. And he's an all-star. You'd think we were in the glory days looking at his stats. We are not, but shout out to Luis Robert. Yeah, he's having a great year. It's good to see him rewarded. I'm still kind of mad about the Dylan C snub from last year. I'm not going to lie. He I, did deserve it. He did. I thought it. about it again today, and I, I remembered that Dylan Cease did not become an all-star and wasn't even named as a replacement, and I just got mad again. So I'm sorry, Dylan. You deserved it. If you're listening to this, you you deserve better than – Hasn't to... Tim Anderson made two all-star teams now? No, he. I think he only made one. Um, and it, we were, he was kind of a snub the year before, and we were saying last year that it was kind of a makeup for, yeah, he made two. Did he? He Two. Yeah. He got it 21 and 22. His snub was in 2019 because he was like the batting champ, but he hadn't really done anything yet. And he got snubbed. He was great in 2020, but there wasn't an all-star game. And so then he had, then he was still good in 2021 and he finally did it. And then last year was the year that he probably didn't deserve it, but kind of got on off the reputation. And I felt like that was like that self-corrected for him not making it in 2019. Like Tim Anderson being a two-time All-Star sounds right. Tim Anderson being one time is not enough. So um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that happened to Jose Abreu too. He got a a nod in like 2019 when he didn't deserve it. for whatever reason, but yeah, Luis Roberts, the Sox only rep Jake Berger, I thought had a, a really, really good shot to do it. But the last four weeks have just not been good baseball from him and uh, cost him his spot. I think he's holding out hope for a home run derby invite, which white Sox fans should be fired up for. If he does get that, that would be cool to watch some burger bombs in Seattle. I don't know if that will happen, 
Uh, but I'm certainly hoping for Jake's case, uh, for, for Jake's sake that he gets afforded that chance. Um, are you, are you, do you think we'll see Jake Berger in the home run derby? I don't, uh, not because he doesn't deserve it, but because I'm not sure that he's nationally recognized. I, I think he's kind of a commodity known to White Sox fans and not much else, but maybe he'll be surprised. I think he'd do well at it though. Like he, he has that so like too. softball yeah. swing. He knows how to just crush fly balls. Uh, they did ask Luis Robert a couple days ago about the home run derby, which he responded saying he was not really interested in participating. So um, even though Luis Robert will be in the all-star game, I uh, do not expect to see him in the home run derby. And I don't want him anywhere. Near I, that thing. <laughs> I am with you. I don't, I don't need Luis Robert changing anything about his swing. It has J- been working. The home run derby is not going to change Jake Berger. Jake Berger is going to change the home run derby. Luis Robert tries to hit home runs in a home run derby. He's going to be messed up for all of July and August. Yeah. I don't, I don't want Robert anywhere near that home run derby. I don't even want him watching it. He can he can go and uh, enjoy a night out in Seattle on Monday night. Uh, I don't, see, I don't want him watching no, the derby. See, I I would feel some kind of joy inside my heart if I was watching Jake Berger take swings at a home run derby and Luis Robert was coming over to give him like a the cold towel to like calm him down during his timeout. That would just be that'd be so sick. That's the only time it's allowed. If Jake Berger is in it, then I give Robert permission as his teammate to watch it, but. If Jake Berger is not in it, I don't want Robert anywhere near it. Anywhere, anywhere where it can potentially change anything about that would be his approach so, to hitting right now. I don't want it. That would be so sad. I feel like being a being an all star without a teammate there. Like I'd be like, oh, wish I had some buddies here. You're watching the Atlanta Braves in like an eight man huddle, all hanging out, and you're just like by yourself. I'd be kind of sad about that. These guys all know each other, though. No, I'm I know. Sure, I'm just I'm saying. I'm sure Luis has some friends on other teams. Oh, yeah. It, there's uh, probably quite a few Cubans that made the roster that uh, he knows from wherever. Um, that's all we really got here for this week with one week to go until the All-Star break. I, I don't know when we can expect Derby participants to be announced, but I'm sure that should be coming not too far in the future. There have been a few, uh, Mookie Betts, Pete Alonzo, Julio Rodriguez. Uh, I think they've announced like four out of the eight so far. So, um, keep an eye out for the other four. Maybe, maybe Jake will get in there. We'll see. I mean, where is, where would you think he is right now with 17 home runs in the ranks? Like in all of baseball? Yeah. In baseball. Oh, I don't know. Probably in the 10 to 15 range. Yeah, he's 14th. But I don't expect a guy like Otani to do it. Luis Roberts not going to do it. So, I mean, I don't know if Ronald Acuna or Ozzy Albis would be great, like home run derby people. I think Acuna's done it before. Yeah, but this year, uh, Ronald Acuna's stats are ridiculous, by the way. I just looked at those today. He's got 40 stolen bases. Yeah, he's, he's gonna getting, he's running he's not, away with National League MVP. He's not getting talked about enough as uh, this year for whatever reason. But I don't know. Jake Berger's got a shot. Maybe we'll see. I, I don't know if Aaron Judge will do it, but I don't know. We'll see. Let's go. Let's get the Burger Bombs into Seattle. Um, like I said, six games before the All Star break. It's just this week. The White Sox are off. Uh, I guess you're listening to this on Monday. The White Sox are off today. 
they will play Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at home against the Toronto Blue Jays. And then they have three hosting the St. Louis Cardinals. So not an easy week. Lucas Giolito takes the bump on Tuesday against Chris Bassett for the Sox, uh, who, as I mentioned earlier, are five and a half games back in the AL Central as I record this. Um, And well, that could potentially change because both Cleveland and Minnesota do play on Monday. Cleveland is playing those Atlanta Braves we mentioned. And the Minnesota Twins have a date with Kansas City in Minnesota. So a good opportunity for the Twins to regain the division lead before the All-Star break. Uh, That's all I got. Noah, do you have anything else to add? No, I don't think so. Um, Looking forward to the draft next week. Looking forward to talking to James. uh, Yeah. Learning more about who could be the future of the White Sox for Rebuild 4.0 coming up in a few years. It really is going to be a good podcast. I mean, you and I have different opinions about some of these draft prospects and I'm interested in seeing where James falls in line with the two of our opinions. Uh, so it'll be very informative and educating for everybody heading into the draft. That's the best way to watch the draft is when you kind of feel like you, you know, what's going on going into it, going in blind can be a bit confusing. So make sure you give that a listen on Friday and keep an eye out for that as we power through the rest of this first half. And until then keep putting crooked numbers up on that board. We'll see ya. (laughs) 